that my 150 years will all be vibrant and healthy, joyous, and free. Um, so that it's not I just want to live to say, yeah, ding, ding, I made 150. I want to live 150 years. Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. Well, welcome everyone to another session with the Council of Elders. Uh, our panelists today, Life Coach Kit Cassingham essayist Susie Kaufman, poet Charles Rammelkamp, and your genial host, Don Auction. And the question for today is, how much is enough? And in particular, how long do you really want to live? I wanted to share with my panel um, a piece that I saw in a science magazine this week. I'm going to read from it. Researchers have now taken on the question of how long we can live if by some combination of serendipity and genetics, we do not die from cancer, heart disease, or getting hit by a bus. They report that our body's capacity to restore equilibrium to its myriad structural and metabolic systems after disruptions still fades with time. And even if we make it through life with few stressors, this incremental decline sets the maximum lifespan for humans at somewhere between 120 and 150 years. Now, my question is, does anyone want to live 150 years? The short answer is yes. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. There's too much to do, Don, to die. There's too much to do to die before that. Um, and, and so... The reason I want to live as long as possible is because, uh, seriously, there are people I haven't met yet who I must, I'm sure I need to meet them, places I haven't gone that I'm just excited to see, and experiences I haven't had yet. And I think it's going to take a lot longer in, f from now till then, till I've gotten it all done. And at 150, I may go, nah, give me a few more. <laughs> great attitude yeah. great attitude what about what about you charles i well i you know wanting to live is kind of a default i think you know that's but how how long my father checked out at the age of 77 and he was still he was never like a really you know robust healthy kind of guy uh you know but he was still okay and then he, he kind of died kind of very quickly my mother lived to be in her 90s and oh it was like a slow slow death uh, that things kept failing so it, it's like again the quality of life i guess uh, i mean i would like to if i could you know i don't know what my body would be like at 150 but if it were okay to you know get around without being in constant pain or discomfort or or you know not being able to identify things i would say yes definitely so you know we both read that book uh, should we stay or should we go and then they that those people said the age of 80 is when they wanted to die um i you know i'm not sure what that 
that age is. <laughs> is. Does the Bible somewhere say 120 is maximum? I know there's 70 and 120, and these numbers get thrown around. But I, I thought Methuselah lived to be like 800. Yeah, but Methuselah is is, uh, is legendary. Now, the the 120 comes from the fact that Moses lived to be 120. So, so in Jewish tradition, it's may you live to be 120. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and if and if we yeah, if we live to be 150, I I'm like you. If I can have a good life for 149 of them, I'd be really happy. Why not go for the whole uh, 150 of the, being good life and just wake up dead one day? But if the last 20 are excruciating, I'm not sure it's worth it. So that's kind of where I am. Well, and I will jump in before Susie talks to say, I anticipate that my 150 years will all be vibrant and healthy, joyous, and free. Um, So that it's not, I just want to live to say, yeah, ding, ding, I made 150. I want to live 150 years. Well, and you're doing all the right stuff too. You're, you're eating, um, uh, I don't know what is it, uh, whale whale fat or uh, and and bean sprouts, <laughs> beans right, all the good stuff and lots of kale. <laughs> Though I just saw something the other day that says kale absorbs heavy metals. So if it's grown in an area that has a lot of heavy metals, you're eating the heavy metals, which is not good for you. So kale's not good for you. So now you tell me. Okay. <laughs> okay, Susie, come in before you get shut out again. <laughs> Oh, no, not likely. Um, So I have a very different perspective, and it's not just with regard to this question. Um, It's a larger philosophical uh, predilection that I have, which is that I want to go down deeply into a few things rather than cast a wide net and just do more and more and more. I I don't see life that way. So it's very interesting to me that in response to your question, which is sort of a little bit of a joke question, I don't think any of us really expects to live that long. Um, Some people respond as, um, as Kit did, uh, that they just want more of it, and I, I'm not, I'm just not that kind of person. I don't, I, I'm a very, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a more contemplative person. It's not about doing a lot of stuff or getting a lot of stuff. For me, don't even, I don't even entertain that question. I'm interested in this minute and the next minute and the minute after that um i'm i'm interested in what's going on in in my consciousness in the moment so you don't think about how long you'll live when you'll die you just take life minute by minute well it would be wonderful if that were entirely true i mean that's the that's the goal I don't spend I don't spend a lot of time with the when. I I do think about death in terms of hoping that it will be as um you know that the struggle will not be too great but but I do understand that living beings 
um, you know, it's the by nature we we have an end. We come to an end, and I know that that that's going to happen. So I don't uh, I don't um, I'm not inclined to hold it at arm's length the way I guess many people are. Yeah, I think uh, what I would be concerned about. And, and kid, if you live to be 150, um, in order to find your peers, you may have to go to Galapagos Island and talk to those tortoises. <laughs> but see, Don, I have friends in a wide range age bracket. So as the older ones die off, the younger ones will just come fill their places and I'll add more young ones. I don't think of myself as an age. I'm just me. And I'll be talking to a teenager and kind of looking at me askance. And Randy will nudge me and say, Kit, they see you as an old lady. Leave them alone. Mm. And I go, they do? Me? So, no, Don, that my, my funnel of friends will just keep filling in regardless of age. That's great. That's great. I, I, I have to say that 150 is a stretch for sure. But I don't think it's unlikely that if if science keeps going along its current course, it might not be possible for for our children's generation to to be living to 120 fairly routinely. And, that's what the and, scientists say. Yeah, they may be wrong, but but that's what they say. And I you, think you won't be around to know the difference, though. <laughs> well, not unless I eat less kale, apparently. Um, right, right. So, so. But I, I think that it also poses some some larger questions, uh, I dare say ecological questions. I mean, if the human lifespan expands, let, let's use 120 because that seems like it's a likely thing. Okay. If, if our generation lives to be 120 and then we still have another generation and another generation and another generation on the earth, what is the impact of us all living much longer. It seems to me like um, there might be some rather negative uh, implications to that. Yeah, population used to be something that people really considered, I think, years ago. I remember people talked about it in the 1970s in college. We talked about overpopulation. It just seems to have dropped out of the equation. And, and now there are like just billions and billions and billions of people. And I think the other day, Don, you were saying that, uh, yeah, the earth is going to survive. I'm not worried about the earth. It's the human beings <laughs> that, that, you know, inhabit it. That's, that... Well, and the, and the other animals, the other creatures, they deserve a chance too. But... Well, it's, and the longevity scientists are talking about, is there an issue with overpopulation? And the consensus that I've seen is that no, it, there isn't because actually more people around the world are having fewer kids because they don't need the kids to work the farms and they want their kids to go to college and fewer kids means easier going to college. And, and that's a global reaction, not just a, a Western. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Although the, uh, the statistics that last ones I saw don't, don't bear out that, uh, that it's had much of an impact. I mean, we're at 7 billion right now. And uh, that seems like too much. Were you eating kale while you read yeah. that? No, I was not. 
<laughs> it's not it's not only the uh, the effect the planetary effect it's also the generational effect i mean if we just stick around you know long past our expected due date um the younger generations will have to take care of us and have to support us and have to forego some of what their needs might be uh, on our behalf. And that's already an enormous problem. So I, 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 I think it's, for me, it's more appropriate to uh, make room for, for people coming up for, for, new, for new life. Oh, let's let's look at employment uh, along the same lines. If uh, if we're past retirement for fifty years, we're going to want something to do. So the one would think that we wouldn't be retired for fifty years; we'd be going back to do something, to work, or to volunteer more actively. And and then the generation below us may feel like, well, we're, we're crowding them out of the job market. We're, we're taking mm-hmm. things away from them, which, which is a complaint we already hear leveled against us baby boomers is that we refuse to leave the stage. Uh, and this could only get worse if, if we live that much longer. Well, what if instead of taking jobs, you were creating jobs? What if, and they, research shows that we are at our most productive in our 70s, so from 70 to 80. And our second most productive time is 60 to 70. So I like to think that I'm not going to be decrepit. I'm going to be contributing, not only with my work and maybe hiring people, but also who's going to teach the kids how to be human? You know, that in the, the old days, the olden days, elders were the ones who shared what culture was like and what the rules of hunting and fishing and loving and all that were. And we, we've got Google now, so we don't need elders in the same way, but we do still need elders to show us better ways of living, good ways of living. I, I, I don't think that we're, I mean, well, we, some people do say that they, that, that we're crowding them out, but I think that that there's always always a place for for us. Yeah. Well, so I'm just I'm just thinking that if at a point when we're at 120 and the younger generation, the people that we sired are in their their 90s, and they think that they're the elders, and we think, well, you should listen up, Sonny. We know more than you do, uh, and then the generation that's going to work is our, is our grandchildren. And it's already a huge issue. Uh, the care of elders is already a huge issue. And I think it's fine for an individual to say, well, I'm really a healthy person. I have very good habits of living and I don't expect to get sick and need care. But uh, you know, if you look around, you see there are a great many middle-aged people managing, already managing three or four other generations. You know, you could be, you could be 50 years old and you could have children that needed your support and grandchildren that, you know, were 
on the way up and parents in their 80s who may be ill and who may be who may require looking after i i i think it's um important to to look and see what life is really like for most people um i agree with you susie susie and you're you're looking at it in the same way that a lot of people do but if the scientists who are working on longevity can make and get everybody on board with um, different supplements that will um, fix the things that make us feel old and, and quotes get decrepit, then then our our kids won't be taking care of us. Our grandkids won't. We will be the Betty Whites of the world, and we'll just live and contribute and have fun and make people laugh. Um, Susie, you'll keep doing your in-depth stuff and Charles, or do you go by Char Charles? Yeah. Okay. Charles will keep doing his poetry and Don will keep writing and I'll keep doing, you know, whatever I'm doing. And we'll, we won't be needed. They, people won't need to take care of us. That's the goal of longevity scientists. But, but do you observe currently that that's <laughs> the way the culture operates because in my observation, you know, 30% of the population refuses to get vaccinated, never mind take all kinds of supplements. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people, I call, people don't. The, right. They're the Darwin Award winners as far as I'm concerned. People, yeah, people don't do what is in their best interest necessarily. Absolutely, Susie. And, and not everybody will, but. I mean, when I was 40, a woman who we joked that we were twins, she was born in England the day after I was. So I figured, you know, she was, we were born at the same time. Um, she started talking at 40 about how old she was. Oh, I'm too old to go camping. The ground is hard. And I'm going at 40, you're saying that? Um, yeah. But you know, I, I, because this is my field, I see people who are 90 and still doing art and dance. I saw a picture of a 90-ish year old woman who's still a model and she's gorgeous. So I do, I mean, I, so I guess society is, I think society is slowly changing to more and more people thinking longevity, vibrant longevity as possible, but they're of course gonna be always the people who die early. Uh, Kit, well, one harking back to something you were saying, uh, you know, notwithstanding that um, you know you can relate to younger people, I remember I, I had a friend who told me that his uncle had just turned ninety-five or something. I said, "Wow, congratulations!" And he said to me, "Oh, he's he, you know, this is just one guy's perspective, but he said, oh, all my all of my contemporaries are gone. I still have my grandchildren, and I can dandle them on my knees, but it's not the same thing." And, you know, it, I, I, if 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 we make it to 120, I hope we have a, a good cohort of our own 120 year olds to be around. Also, I think rather than well, just yes, yes, because they they relate to what happened to us in the 60s. <laughs> Kids born in at 2000 can't relate to the 60s. So yeah, I, I there's definitely that that element. Um, but I think that what we're talking about is changing the cultures, educating people. We've lost, for example, the home unit. 
It used to be three and four generations of a family would live together, if not in the same house, at least on the same cluster of land. And now kids live across the country, around the world from their parents and their siblings. So we don't have multi-generational stuff, except now we're back into the kids moving in with the parents. But um, I think if we can get back to creating our little villages, and I like the multi-generational village concept, I think we'll all be healthier, happier people. That would would be nice. I um, since the pandemic hit, um, my we're kind of in constant touch via FaceTime and things with with our children who live like one one of them lives in Korea and one lives in uh, Wisconsin. So we don't see them, but it seems like I remember when I was that age and and I would have a telephone and I would talk to my parents on the telephone once every, you know, and of course you had to. You, would, you, you mean one of those things that had a cord that yeah. went to the wall? Yeah. And you had, there was a little dial on it. And you, wow. <laughs> so, you know, I, wow. how, how close we are now. I, Cause I don't feel, I, I would love to see my daughter who I haven't seen in two years and, and our grandchildren, but, but it doesn't seem mm-hmm. as, as, you know, lost as as it was i was go- i was going to say that that uh with regard to the multi-generational families it's really interesting because i um come from a place of the a, a great deal of value placed on letting the children go and you know f- uh create their own lives and go wherever they need to go and uh, you know, be, be independent and, and not everybody comes from that culture. Uh, my husband's son and his kids and now grandkids, he's 50 and he has two grandchildren. They, they all live, you know, on the same plot of land, just like you were describing, um, because that's, that's what they feel called to. And when, they first um, started to gather in California in in that kind of structure. Hmm. I was frankly aghast. I thought, wait a second, aren't these um, young people supposed to have their own lives? But now I sort of see that it's just another way of doing things, but it's not at all familiar to me. Well, and it's not to me either, which is maybe why it appeals to me. I didn't know my grandparents particularly. I don't really know my siblings. I Mm -hmm. yearn for having connection. And maybe what I'm talking about is connection, whether it's your biological family or your chosen family. Because you can still have your own life if you live next door to your parents. I mean, as long as they're not, you're not holding on to each other. But my wife's sister has these children who are kind of on the, uh, autistic uh, spectrum. Um, they three sons, and they all live at home. One of them's in his thirties, and one of them's their other ones are in their twenties. One of them is transitioning to uh, a female. But um, the she, my sister-in-law, is in uh, Eli, the oldest one. He's thirty-one. Um, is is a pretty talented musician, and he's very much into the Beatles, and he's been accepted to. get a master's degrees in the Beatles by going to Liverpool and she's you know it's going to be expensive but she thinks it would be real good for him to go to England for a year and just be on his own and and, you know that would then who knows what would happen when he came back 
Yeah. I think that would be I love great. it. I and yeah. England's a great place to get more familiar with the Beatles. I think they lived there <laughs> once, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to come back to something we brought up a few minutes ago about how we'd all be better off if we lived in villages. I don't remember exactly how we got there. So part of that came from um, the idea that we have to, you know, the, each younger generation has to take care of the older one. And, and I'm saying, I, I yearn for a village, a village to interact with. I didn't really know my grandparents. I don't really know my siblings now. Um, and I said earlier that I have friends from teenage up to mid nineties and I interact with them all equally. And I don't know if I'd said this earlier, but um, I don't think of myself as being a 67 year old woman. I think of myself as being a person, but if we're interacting equally and we're healthy and vibrant so nobody's having to take care of anybody but at the same time we get to take you know so don your kid your grandkids get home from school early and i'm home i'll say oh i'll watch them you know you keep doing what you need to do that's a contribution i can make and i could read to them or they could read to me and they can help me hang a picture or you know so we we communicate we interact in a unified way um so that that's what I hope for, and that's not what society is doing though, right now. Though the pandemic seems to kind of be encouraging some of that. I know quite a few families who are back to multi generational in a house. Right, the economy happened to uh, to do that too before the pandemic. When when the younger generation couldn't find jobs, uh, it was back home with the with the rents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but I agree with you. A, a a village concept is a really is a really great one. I don't see us moving there very rapidly. It's all right. But we can do um, it slowly. Well, and if if the age demographics are such that as as we're talking about, if we all do live longer, then it will kind of force more of that to happen. Well, and I don't have kids. So maybe part of what, yeah, I mean, I, I gather the three of you do have kids. Oh, maybe yes. Maybe grandkids. Uh, so grandchildren and great grandchildren. Wow, Susie. And, yeah. and so you've got things I don't. And as we were taking, getting our parents into their retirement communities and we realized we don't have anybody to do that for us. How will we know if we're making sound decisions? So we're trying to adopt people to be our kids that's the only way but not so, not so old they'll die when we do but you know but not so young that they still have their lives to live so we're, we're fishing around if you know any kids looking for 60 year old parents let me know <laughs> so i it's interesting that you uh mentioned that you don't have children and you think that that has impacted what you're yearning for at this point in your life, because all of our uh, individual, very particular life circumstances impact, um, you know, what, what the flow is for us going forward. 
I mean, I grew up on the 14th floor of an apartment building in New York City. Mm. And so I still, to this day, just sort of, you know, beam with joy when I walk in the town of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where I live, because, you know, it's only three blocks long. And <laughs> I, it, it just gives me so much pleasure that I know, you know, I, I have associations with each of the buildings and with each of the, you know, with the post office and the bank and all that stuff. And Alice's Restaurant. Yeah, Alice's Restaurant. Well, Susie, yeah. you live on a horizontal 14-story 14 14 story building. So it has blocks instead of floors. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, we didn't, we didn't talk to our neighbors in that apartment building. That's not entirely true, but to to a large extent, if if you grow up in a big city, you don't really know the people around you. Right. That's very often true, though. I heard about a really cool little sub-community in Boston. Do you know of Joy Street in Boston? It's um, it's um, just off of the Capitol and, and the Common. Um, they have formed an informal, becoming more formal, community where they actually now have, um, they have a website. And if somebody needs help, they email and say, hey, could somebody come help me do this? And, or Monday is movie night. Wednesday is the girls' night out, and Thursday is the boys' night out. And um, they'll decide, let's go to Chicago and do the architectural tour. And so this, it's like three blocks long, but it's people who have their own homes who have turned it into their own form of retirement mm. community. So there's now it's it's so it's a city community that has formed its own retirement community, if you will. And I think that is really cool. That that actually sounds very appealing. Yeah. There's also a movement, um, the villages yeah. movement, yeah. Um, which, which I've covered in my column from time to time. Uh, and its premise is just that, that we, we need to form community and it will help elders age in place if they have a village around them that they can turn to. So, I mean, I, these are all yes. ideas that are, are percolating. Yes. They're, they're below the radar for the most part. Don, for the, for the villages, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there's two ends to it. There's the signing up to be a volunteer. You know, I can drive people to the doctor and, or wherever here and there, but there's the being a recipient of help in order to be part of that process, you have to pay a significant amount of money. Uh, that is true. Yeah. So these are, these are not systems that are set up for everyone. They're systems that are set up for people of means, really. It, so we need to have a system that is more community-minded, right. not you know, a, a, an industry. I think the thing that I was hoping to provoke some um, discussion about was the idea that if we stay on the stage so long, it poses a burden on the younger generations in terms of uh, having too much, too many people offering wisdom. 
Um, you know, not only the grandparents, but the great grandparents and, and everybody's got to get their advice in. And the teenagers will also offer their wisdom. Oh yeah. That I forgot about that. But, but Don, we have Susie who very quietly sits and I'm going to make this up, Susie. She sits in her office typing and, and dispensing her wisdom every two weeks. And there's me who won't shut up. And there's Charles who writes poetry, which is a different kind of sharing of wisdom. And there's Don who noisily types in his office. <laughs> I'm, I'm making all of this up. So there's four kinds of sharing in this room right here. Well, sharing with the general public or, or some slice of the public is altogether different from sharing with your children. Absolutely. I can tell you, <laughs> you know, your children, your, ch your children don't necessarily yeah, want to hear what you live. have to say. Yeah. And my children are wonderful, but you know, they, right. they yeah. make it clear that, uh, okay, boomer, you know, they make it clear. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter. Cause it, you know, we, we put out to the yeah. world what we want to put out there and people who mm -hmm. want it or need it, hear mm -hmm. it. And not everybody wants to see themselves as a modern elder who has wisdom Definitely. to share. Yeah. So I don't, Don. I don't think it'll get all that noisy. I, you don't. No. Nah. Okay. Well, I mean, given the fact that you're planning to live to 150, and every second of that is going to be good, well time, and that you don't have any children to share that with, um, that's great. Uh, those of us who have children and grandchildren, uh, gosh, it's a joy to see them. But after a while, I just want to say, don't you think enough is enough? I mean, do I need to see the fifth generation of progeny? And and do I still have to care about their teenage angst and all of that? We, we are actually, my husband and I are aware of, you know, the youngest, the second great grandchild is seven months old. So what is going to be left of this planet when that person, you know, go, goes forth into the world, you know, another, another 20 years or so. Yeah. Um, and she's going to go out and, and have to, you know, have something to eat and clean water to drink and work to do and healthcare and all of the rest of it. So I'm much more concerned about making, trying to promote uh, humane policies rather than just sort of stretching it out. Because as it stands, I worry about those babies. Yeah, right. I do. All right, six-year-old granddaughter recently forgot a book that she was supposed to return to school one day, and it was just, it, she kind of. It, just totally ruined her life. Her, her mother, of course, assured her that it was not a problem. And, and the teacher also said, you can just bring it back tomorrow. But it was interesting to me, I think, to see Paloma have that, that well, guilt, I guess you call it, but, you know, a sense of, you know, being responsible for something. I, I thought that was interesting to see a person developing that. The, the three-year-old is still three-year-old and he's a cute kid, but it's, it's to watch people develop that way. I think, although I'm not sure if you need to keep seeing that, as Don was saying, haven't we seen this on that? 
it's like I used to say uh, when when the issue of gay marriage first came up, uh, my comment was, "Why haven't they suffered enough?" <laughs> oh, oh, this is this is a Borscht circuit joke if I've ever heard one. Right? And Don, I have friends who are polyamorous, which means the husband and the wife will date other people, and I'm going. Oh my God, one spouse is enough. Why would you want more? So it's the same bad joke. Yeah, really? Yeah. Really, yes. And I still don't understand it, but each oh. their own. No, I, that that's really just sort of my feeling about, about the aging question. Uh, you know, at a certain point, I think I will have suffered enough and I will have <laughs> done what I can do. And Don, you won't have heard all of my bad jokes. Well, that's true. Or so about you all of your really, adventures. You won't have suffered enough if you haven't heard all the bad jokes. <laughs> okay. Is 150 enough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, all right, 180 then. Um, but let's, I want to go back to Susie's environmental issue because she's brought it up several times. Maybe I'm a Pollyanna, probably a Pollyanna when it comes to this. I believe that as humans will develop the a healthier attitude about protecting and preserving the earth and technology is going to help us preserve the resources. So I think Susie's great grandchildren and great, great, great grandchildren will actually maybe have a better life than we have today with cleaner air and cleaner water and better food sources without going soil and green on us. You know, I mean, mm. I really is is that your experience of your own life that it's better than your parents' life? Um, no, Susie, it's not. Um, but you know, I like the world cycles, and I think my parents probably had a better life than their parents. And in some ways, I think mine mm -hmm. is better. But I also know um, air and water are more, are more polluted. But I don't know that food was always abundant in the earlier years, um, dec you know, when my grandparents were young. Um, I guess it depended on where you lived and what you did. Um, but the fact that people in Africa, in third world countries, not just Africa, in third world countries, their um, level of living is rising so they don't have to have more children to survive. That tells me things are getting better and will continue to. Mm. And, and technology does get better. So, but, but what you ask, Susie, is part of how I came to figure out, and I, did, I figured this out 25, 30 years ago, that I'd lived to 120. I looked at how long my great-grandparents and my grandparents lived, and, and my grandparents lived longer than their parents had. And my parents lived longer than theirs, and I just kept going, all right, if they live this much longer and, and all this, then okay, I can make 120. And my husband thought I was absolutely mm. crazy. He'd hear me tell clients that, and he'd go, Kit, they're going to think you're insane. They're going to fire you. Quit saying that to them. And now he hears other people saying they're going to live to 150, 180, and he goes, all right, well, maybe Kit's not all that crazy. So... I have high hopes for the future, Susie. Uh, centenarians are not as rare as they used to be. I, I think I heard something about uh, 
Queen Elizabeth sending out cards to everybody who turns 100 in, in England. And then, and pretty soon that job is going to be so daunting because she's going to be writing letters every, so maybe that was in, well, should we stay, should we stay or should we go? Then a, a joke in that, uh, that novel, but uh, people are getting older. Mm. Yeah. And you know about the blue zones communities where there are more centenarians than other countries. Yes, I've, I've heard that concept before, and it's, a, it's very interesting uh, to look at that and see why they live longer. And, and what was the conclusion? Is it the Mediterranean diet? No, because um, people in Okinawa don't have a Mediterranean diet. Uh, people ah. in, um, but they probably eat a lot of fish, yes, right? Um, and then there's, it's Nicaragua, Costa Rica, a, a Latin American country that's also in the blue zone. And then Loma Linda, California is. It's a Seventh-day Adventist community. Um, and I I don't know what they eat, but it, it's the pace of life. It's the attitude. Uh, the Loma Linda doesn't drink, but they sure do in Icaria, Greece, and um, um, oh, I forget, in Italy, um, begins with an, an island begins with an s sardinia um they mm -hmm. sure drink um the five o'clock wine uh, and you know, pick your poison but um it's a pace of life it's staying active and engaged there's not retiring at 60 or 70 um mark hyman who's a a, a doctor a functional medicine doctor just spent at least part of his summer in sardinia and I looked at an interview that he had with a, a goat herder who had just retired a few years earlier. The goat herder's 95. He retired at 90, and his 70-year-old son had picked up where he left off. But he still works his gardens and, and still hikes the hills. He doesn't do the full 5 or 10 miles a day anymore. But, um, you know, that is what keeps us young and going. We, as Westerners, tend to sit too much. And if you're a goat herder, you don't get to sit. There's truth in that. Yeah. Yeah, walking is my day. It's funny because when you use the, the phrase, the pace of life, and that, that, that was an important factor in longevity, I was thinking you meant quite the opposite, that that it was because that's where I'm coming from, you know, it, that it was a good thing to not have a lot of stress, not have a lot of commotion, not be racing around to, to live a quiet life uh, would prove to be salutary. This is my hope. <laughs> so that's what I thought you were referring to, but you were in fact refer referring to goat herding. Well, no, no, I'm, I, that was yeah. just one example. <laughs> it is living, you aren't rushing from one call to the next and one appointment to the next. You just flow mm -hmm. through life. And goat herding is not a fast paced job. <laughs> if you ever watch goats on the hills, they kind of graze slowly. So you're not really, excuse the pun, hoofing it to yeah, keep, yeah. keep up with them. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's the, the siestas and it's, um wine at five and it's getting up with the sun or when you feel like it 
um, and just it's staying active and engaged with life at an easy pace, not a, a stressed pace, as you put it, Susie. I think we don't really appreciate how stressful our our existence in the Western world is until we stop and uh, and feel the difference of it. We really have put on ourselves an incredible amount of stress, and it's amazing um, that it hasn't lowered our lifespans right. more. And maybe it has. <laughs> Did had the life expectancy did drop but like about a year or two because of, of COVID, didn't it? I mean the deaths. Yes, yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. But also the death the deaths of, of despair, you know, the deaths of despair amongst um white working class in particular people who are dying of uh you know, alcohol and Heart, di- heart and, disease, and, and, you know, heart. Also, yeah. So, so that that really put a uh, a different spin on the mortality statistics. And you're right. There's a slight dip right now, but for up until a few years ago, worldwide, the trajectory was we all live longer, thirty years longer, and mm. it's not tacked on to the end. It's tucked into the middle. You know, like the 40. Oh, that's interesting. So we don't live yeah. as old people for an extra 30 years. We lived as middle-aged, vibrant people for an extra 30 years if we take care of ourselves. Well, that's that's a lovely way of describing it. Yeah. My mother lived to 99, so I'm, I'm familiar with, with what it could look like. And she was actually healthy. Uh, I mean, she didn't have any debilitating diseases, but she was pretty confused. Mm-hmm. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, as we generally do, and we could go on, but we won't. Uh, thanks to our panelists, Susie, Charles, Kit, and here's wishing all of you a long and vibrant life. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The Endgame, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The Endgame.